Our scripture passage is taken from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 45. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. And he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. And they were all amazed so that they were questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. And immediately he left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law lay ill with a fever, And immediately they told him about her, and he came up and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons, and the whole city was gathered together at the door, and he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him. They said to him, everyone is looking for you. He said to them, let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues, And casting out demons. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. And he immediately, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once, and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. But go, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places, and people were coming to him from every quarter. And that's God's word. Our society tells us There really is no objective truth. Truth is a personal matter. We can't really understand and know truth. It's it's untenable. It's subjective by nature. That's the dominant view in American culture now. But the early Christians were so convinced of truth that they were willing to be persecuted and imprisoned and even tortured Actually, the early Christians believed so strongly in a particular system of truth that they were willing to die and were killed 
and were executed, many of them, for truth. And I guess they didn't think it was subjective. Jesus, early in his ministry, took a stand for truth, regardless of what everybody said, regardless of what everybody wanted. He took a stand for truth. And following Jesus, becoming a Christian and remaining a Christian involves coming to terms with truth. Not just your truth, but truth with a capital T. Regardless of what people say, regardless of what people think, following Jesus means coming to terms with the nature of truth. Truth actually is, truth is coming, sorry, the slide got ahead of me. The truth of coming judgment and God's salvation is actually what the church has that the world can't offer. There are so many things you can find in the world just because of God's grace, common grace, and goodness to society. But truth about coming judgment and God's salvation is something specifically entrusted to the church of Jesus and those who are a part of his community. And today I want to talk about the centrality of truth. I'd also like to talk about the mission of truth for the church and for Christians, even for you if you're not a Christian. Truth's really important. I'm going to try and show you that. And finally, there's a way to truth. So I want to talk about the centrality of truth, the mission of truth, and the way to truth. Now, at first glance, doesn't the passage that we just read seem to be about miracles? Right? The passage seems to be all about miracles, healings, and actually Jesus, right? He's been preaching about the gospel of God's kingdom, preaching faith and repentance, and now something amazing happens. Jesus shows his absolute authority over nature and over the spiritual world. You see Jesus healing people who are sick and struggling with disease, but you also see Jesus helping people who are under a spiritual oppression. You see two types of oppression. Jesus, Jesus takes on two types of oppression in this passage, physical oppression and spiritual oppression. Okay? Jesus has the ability to release people from physical oppression, what, what plagues their bodies, but also what's plaguing their souls, what's plaguing their psyche, their mind, their heart, okay? But here's, a, here's something very interesting. He actually tries to not make a big deal of it. In verse 25, scholars actually say what Jesus says to the demon in the synagogue in verse 25 is basically, shut up. And later on, it says he would keep, he kept casting demons out of people, but he wouldn't let demons speak because they knew who he was. They, they had the inside scoop on his true identity. And so he wouldn't, he wouldn't permit them to speak. He didn't want them letting it out that he was the son of God. And then another, another place, he heals a leper, but he tells the leper to be quiet about it. 
in verse 34 and 35, healing a leper is a huge deal. In the Old Testament, only two lepers healed. Naaman, the Syrian, an amazing general, um, a foreigner, and and Moses' sister Miriam. And in both those cases, it's very clear that God alone heals. And Jesus doesn't ask God to heal her. He simply heals her. This is incredible. Everybody would have marveled at that. But Jesus, instead of promoting this healing, he tells the leper, hey, I don't want you to say anything about it. Be quiet. He tells him sternly, be quiet about this. Well, the guy doesn't listen to him. And fame of Jesus spreads throughout his home region of Galilee to such a point that he can't even go out in public. He's got to sneak around uh, back roads, dark alleys along the countryside, out of the way, has to find time to be alone, to recharge his batteries, to pray, because people are, are just crowding him because of the miracles. Why does Jesus suppress the attention? The disciples don't under, his disciples don't get it. And what do we find out? They are searching for him. They can't find him because he's alone, out by himself, praying somewhere out of the way, and they're frantically looking for him. They find him, and they say in verse 37, you can almost sense the frustration in them, everyone is looking for you, right? Master, what, in the, what are you doing out here? And what does Jesus say to them? Verse 38, he says, let us go on to the next towns that I may preach there also. For that is why I've come out. So you see in verse 38, Jesus says, hey, let's keep moving, okay? Let's go preach in the other towns, for that is why I'm here. The disciples wanted a show. It's kind of like, I could see the disciples trying to figure out how can we capitalize on this amazing messianic activity, Spiritual oppression lifted from people, disease and sickness lifted from people, Hey, Jesus, look, let's, let's take this on the road. People want more of this. Let's get a band, and maybe we can hire some, some hipsters to make some fair trade coffee and sell it in a little booth, and we'll just set up a healing booth, and, you know, it's like a carnival. We'll just take it on the road. The crowds are into this. Uh, you, could, you could really make a big deal out of yourself. This is going to be like Judas Maccabeus. This is awesome. And they come to him. They don't understand. What are you doing by yourself out here in a lonely place? The crowds need you. But Jesus says, that's not what I'm about. We look back at verses 14 and 15 in this chapter. Jesus started his ministry by preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Faith and repentance because of God's coming kingdom, God's just arrived kingdom is what Jesus was about. That was his main focus. The healing And the exorcism, these were signs of his authority. These were signs of his power, and they were signs of his compassion. But they're not the main show, Jesus says. What he had to say was the big idea, and that's what he had to promote. So if Jesus prioritized the truth over the perceived needs of the people, I think we need to pay close attention to that. I think that means we have to make a priority of truth, the truth, over what we think we need and what people tell us we need. 
And I wanna talk about the mission of truth because at the center of the church's mission needs to be what was at the center of Jesus' mission, okay? Proclaiming the truth so that people can respond to it. That's not the only thing the church is supposed to do, but that's the main thing. And if we lose sight of that, we really lose, we really lose our purpose and who we are. Look, God's judgment is coming. There, there are two sides to this issue of God's kingdom, okay? If there's a king and you're out of step with him, it means judgment for you. If you're in step with him, it means salvation. And so this truth is unavoidable, and it's precisely what Jesus entrusted to the church 2,000 years ago to guard, to protect, and to communicate to the world around us. Okay? So imagine, because here, here's the thing. People think, well, aren't people's needs important? I mean, here's Jesus healing people. He did it. Jesus is dealing with spiritual oppression. How many people are depressed and discouraged and out of their mind? How many people are sick? How many people are struggling with the physical ramifications of living in a broken world? How many people are dying because of disease? There are needs all, of around, all around us. We know that, okay? But think of it this way. Imagine you go to the doctor's office and you say, Doc, I need you to help me. I need you to medicate me. I need you to fix this. I've had a headache for three months. Every day, I've had a headache. It's driving me crazy. And the doctor says, yes, I'm concerned about your headache too. And I could just medicate you, but here's the problem. You've, there's a tumor inside of you that's causing that headache. I want you to feel better and I know the headache is driving you mad, but I've got to deal with the tumor inside of you. Everything else is a symptom. What you're feeling is a symptom. There's a deeper problem, and if we don't fix that, nothing else matters. You'd say, that's a good doctor, okay? Jesus is compassionate, and he responded to people's immediate needs, but he said, that's not that. those are symptoms. There's a much deeper issue going on. And I've got to get to the root of that. And the only way to get to the deeper issue is to proclaim the truth of God's coming judgment and of the fact that he offers salvation. Now, our vision statement as a church, some of you who are around from the very beginning heard me say this like a mantra every single day and every single week. To cultivate a community that seeks to discover the depths of Christ's love, grow in his truth, and bring hope to Westminster and our world. Now, here's the thing. We can't bring hope if we are not growing in truth. Like a good doctor, if you don't have good information, what does it matter what the patient thinks? If you're going to be helpful, you need to have something helpful to do, all right? So the only way as a church we can offer anything worthwhile for people hear hearing is if we sink ourselves into the truth. There, there, there is no hope to offer to the world if we are not growing in the truth that God shares with us, okay? We discover the truth of God, we grow in the truth, and then the outpouring of that is we bring hope to other people, okay? 
But if we're not listening to the truth, we have no hope to offer. Whatever we offer, it's like a Band-Aid. It's like, it's like addressing a symptom without going to the root of the problem. And that's where Christians and that's where churches lose their way is that they begin to give all their resources and effort and money and thinking and intellect and passion to putting Band-Aids on people's problems and putting Band-Aids on cultural problems without addressing the root of the problem which is the truth of God's coming judgment and the fact that he offers salvation. That's where everything starts. And then every good deed and every helpful program responding to people's felt legitimate needs is an outpouring of how we already understand truth. Okay? Now, that has implications for you as an individual Christian. If you're a follower of Jesus... It's just as important for you. You have to grow in your understanding of truth in order to be useful for Jesus, in order to be useful for the people in your life. Truth saves you, but it also transforms you. It must transform you. We read this earlier. In him, you, now he's talking about Jesus Christ. This is the Apostle Paul talking about Jesus. And he said, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. By hearing the truth, God's Spirit changes us as we respond to it in faith. Okay, but we don't stop there. Right? We hear it and we are saved, the Bible tells us. But now the truth has to transform us. We have to grow in our understanding of the truth that saves us. The same person, Apostle Paul, would later say in Romans, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Okay? So what we learn from the Bible is our understanding of truth does not come from what the world says is true and what the world says is good, and what the world says it is right. It comes from being transformed by God's presence in our lives. God's truth saves us, but then God's truth, as we allow him to, transforms us. And the word for transform in the Greek there, in Romans chapter 12, it's the word for metamorphosis, okay? Truth saves us, but you have to allow the truth to transform you. And you have to ask yourself as a Christian, is what I think and what I believe and my opinions about, I don't know, any, any cultural issue, politics, sexuality, gender issues, what are the big things that, we're that our society is talking about? Okay? And we have to ask ourselves as individual Christians, are we developing our opinions and our ideas based on what the world says is good and right and true? Or truth, what God says is good and right and true? Who is influencing who? I have to ask myself that question. Where do I get this idea from? Okay. Now, I want to say something. If, if you're not a Christian, let me, let me back up here. Micah, can you take us back? Thank you. I'm going to leave that up for a while. This actually is important for you if you don't claim to be a Christian or if, or if you're, you still see yourself as exploring Christianity. Maybe, maybe you call yourself a skeptic, and, and, and I understand that, and I appreciate that. You, you want to really understand something before you move forward. I respect that, okay? Um, actually, truth is very important. 
And I would challenge you to consider that maybe truth is not as subjective as you have always believed it was and as the people in this world and society have told you it is. Look, you're very much aware of physical oppression and spiritual oppression in the world, aren't you? Right? You see injustice, you see sickness, you see disease. You see people hurting one another, you see conflict. You see tragedy taking place in the world. You know it's real. You know people have real felt needs. You have needs too. You feel the brokenness. You feel the pain. It's maybe even in your life. Maybe there is a brokenness in your soul. It affects the way you think. It affects how you relate to other people. It affects how you see yourself. Maybe there's a brokenness in your body. You're aware that your body is, is a machine <laughs> that is slowly or rapidly degenerating. And so physical needs and spiritual needs, the needs of your psyche, are very real to you. They're tangible. And I agree with you. I respect that. So that seems most important because you can see it and feel it and touch it. Okay? However, truth is more untenable. It's more abstract, isn't it? It's harder to get a hold of. And the culture tells us there really is no objective truth. Truth is subjective. Truth is what it seems to you to be. Our culture actually says the only thing that is absolutely true is that there is no absolute truth, which is inconsistent because even that is a truth claim. I mean, where does that come from, right? We're told in our society there is no objective truth, but that's a truth claim, right? So you may need to backpedal a little bit and realize that that's inconsistent, and actually, you don't even live your life that way. There are all sorts of absolutes by which you live. In general, you probably stop at stop signs, most of the time, right? You know that somebody's gonna be coming after you if you don't pay your taxes. You know that if you don't pay your mortgage, eventually you're gonna lose your house. You know that if you don't study for an exam or write a paper, you're gonna flunk that class. You know if you keep ignoring that person, the relationship's gonna get even worse. You live by absolutes, you absolutely do. So why do we all of a sudden say that in the spiritual world, on the philosophical level, there are no absolute truths? When it comes to our God and creator, if he exists, well, there's no absolutes. We don't live that way, but we put that on God and we put that on spirituality. I just want to encourage you to see that inconsistency and consider that Christianity, out of all the worldviews, is the most consistent Actually, to say there is no truth, you're really saying there, nobody can help. At the end of the day, there really is no one that I can put my faith in. I really can't trust anybody. If truth is subjective, then as people in the universe, there is really no one to help us. That's what you're saying. But if a creator exists who cares about the universe that, he create, that he's created and the creatures and the people that he's created, shouldn't you pursue to know him, to know what's important to your maker, to know where you stand with him? See, truth is critical, not just for the church, not just for Christians. I think truth is critical for everybody. And actually, the Bible reveals that our disregard for truth is is the true reason for all of these symptoms. The things that Jesus was dealing with, 
the spiritual oppression, the physical oppression, the things you see in the world that make you sad, that make you angry, that break your heart, that terrify you physically and psychologically. The Bible says they all come from a general disregard for truth in human society. That's at the root of it all. That's the cancer. And everything, everything comes out of that. The Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1 shows this. The wrath of God, Paul said, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Paul's saying it's because we suppress the truth and always have that God is going to judge the world. He goes further. He says in another place in Romans chapter 1 that people, that human beings, exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Basically, we'll worship and serve anything, ourselves, other people, animals, frogs, the sun, your job, I don't know, your car, an idea. We'll worship anything and anyone but our creator. We exchange the truth of God for a lie. And Paul went on to say, since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. And the Bible saying the root of all sorts of oppression, the root of the brokenness that we see, that we feel, is this. It's that we, left to our own devices, will always suppress, ignore, disregard, even reject what is true. We're quick to listen. I'm sorry. We're quick to ask, but we're slow to listen. Like those folks in Galilee when Jesus is trying to teach about critical life-saving news, but people just want to be healed. They're so amazed by this guy. Would you just heal me? Would you heal my friend? And they were forgetting what he, they were ignoring what he was saying. And that's the way we are without God's help. We want him to bless us, but we don't want to hear what he has to say. We're all about him healing us and fixing us, but we don't want to listen to him speaking. That's the problem of the human condition. It's like those people in Capernaum. And what the Bible says is actually that's killing us. Your general disregard for what God says is killing you in this life. And it is damning you in the next life. That's objective according to the Bible. That doesn't change based on your perspective and your upbringing and your ethnicity and your language and your color and your background. Regardless of where you come from and what you think, the Bible says this is true for all of us. Yes, a hurting world needs healing. Our minds, our thinking need to be renewed People need to be encouraged. People need to be loved and blessed. But what Jesus is saying is all of that is a Band-Aid. Because Jesus was compassionate, he met people's needs. He didn't turn them away. But the leper was going to die of something else eventually. Okay? 
And something else would happen in the demoniac's life that would scare him or frustrate him or discourage him. Okay. Those were temporary reliefs. Jesus looks at your life and he says, there's something deep and only I can address it. But I address it like a loving, skillful surgeon by speaking truthfully into your life. And I ask for a response. So the truth tells us that healing and true freedom come from God. People think that truth is enslaving, but just the opposite is true. The Bible says truth is healing. Truth is freeing, and there's a way back to it. We don't have to stay here as people suppressing what God says because of our own depraved way of thinking. The Bible offers us a way back to truth. In the Bible... Truth is not just an abstract concept. There we go. I got it to work this time. Unless it was you. It was me. It was this. Awesome. Pray for this thing. It just seems to be, I think it's possessed. Thank you. Um, in the Bible, truth is not simply abstract. Truth is not just a philosophical concept in Christianity. Truth is a person. And this makes it very different. This makes it very practical. Because concepts... Theories, ideas can be elusive, right? It's hard to get a hold of them, but people are tangible. You can see a person, you can hear a person, you can talk to a person. So let's do a little experiment, okay? I wanna ask you, I'm not gonna ask you a question like I normally do, I want you to help me with something. Can you please um, describe humor? Tell me what humor is. Somebody take a crack at it. What is humor? Yeah. Humor is taking a kernel of truth and exaggerating it to an extreme. Okay. Wow, that's deeper than I thought anybody would, <laughs> would, would offer. Okay, there's one definition. Taking a kernel of truth and exaggerating it to an extreme. What else? What's humor? Okay, humor is something that makes you laugh. Very basic, yes. Something that makes you laugh, yeah. What else? Humor is a state of joy. It can be. I know of humor that makes people happy, and I know of humor that really hurts people. Right? Something that may make you laugh may make somebody else cry or very embarrassed. But yes, absolutely. What else? I saw somebody else, yeah. Are you a communications major? Not yet. <laughs> a unique way of, did you say a unique way of communicating a message? Okay. A unique method of communicating a message. I wasn't hearing it. It's unique in that it's funny. It's unique in that it's funny. Yeah. A uniquely funny way of communicating. Any, any other definitions of humor? See, that was great, but people are sharing different definitions, and now you're all like going to go home thinking, what, how would I, like if my kid asked me what humor is, what would I say? W.C. Fields once said that comedy was tragedy happening to another person. Comedy is tragedy happening to the other person. That comes from a pretty famous comedian. But now you're even struggling with that. How do you define something? How do you, how do you understand a concept? Okay, now, um, 
let's, let's actually talk about humor, humorous things, okay? Think of Lucille Ball, right? And th- that I Love Lucy episode where she's working in a chocolate factory and she's got, a, she's, she's got that, that assembly line. There's a conveyor belt of, of truffles and, and she can't keep up with the truffles so she starts shoving them all in her mouth. Yeah, everyone's starting to laugh and smile. Yeah. How about um, in the movie, What About Bob? When, when the esteemed psychiatrist, Dr. Leo Marvin, is basically on vacation with his crazy patient, Bob Wiley. It's just insane. Dr. Marvin's family falls in love with his patient because his patient is kinder to them than Dr. Marvin is. And Dr. Marvin pushes Bob Wiley into the lake because Bob teaches his son how to dive. That's funny, you're laughing. Jerry Seinfeld says that when you walk around in sweatpants in public, you're telling the world, I give up. (laughs) You're laughing. Okay, so here's the thing. We were trying to describe humor, okay? And we were struggling to understand it as a concept, but the second we see humor, the second we hear humor, now it starts to make sense to us in a new way. And I would suggest that truth is the same way. We're having a hard time defining truth. Our culture doesn't get it. Our culture doesn't want to get the truth. You don't, in a way, in certain aspects of your life. Neither do I. But God is so kind and God is so loving and so helpful that he says, I am the truth. In Isaiah chapter 45, we read it. What did God say? I speak truth. But he loves us so much that he goes further. He says, I'm going to show you. I'm not just going to tell you that I speak the truth. I'm going to show you the truth so that you can see it and hear it and touch it. Jesus would later say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so in Jesus, we see the truth. We hear the truth. And someday, we're going to be able to reach out and hug, I I believe, the truth and embrace it completely. That's really the gospel is that God says, I'm not just going to try and explain who I am to you and how you can come back to me. I'm going to show you. I'm going to make it real for you. And experiencing something is far greater than just hearing about it. So, are you struggling with truth? I'm just going to invite you to walk with us in getting to know Jesus. We're going to be in Mark's gospel for a while, every week. Let's just walk together and listen to this man and hear what he has to say as though we're right there experiencing it in person, in the flesh. Let's just walk together and discover who this Jesus is because he says he is the truth and let's experience it together. Have you already found the truth? Are you already walking with Jesus? Great, but keep listening to him. Stop assuming that you know what you need and start listening to what he has to say. Jesus said, 
in another place. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Freedom is in truth. Truth is not enslaving. It is because you don't want to hear it. But when you submit to Jesus, the truth, his truth will set you free. So truth is what we're going to be about as a church, okay? We're going to love people. We're going to meet their needs as God allows us because God is compassionate and as his people, we're going to be compassionate. We're not going to ignore people because Jesus didn't ignore people, but that's not the main show. The main show is the truth that he brings. It's not subjective, it's objective. And we're going to listen to him and learn from him. And based on that, we're going to help this world we live in. The truth of his coming judgment and the truth that he offers salvation from it is exactly what the church has to offer that the world can't offer. If we lose sight of this, we become like a... Look, people can be alleviated of physical and spiritual oppression in this world. The church doesn't own that. But the church owns the truth of Jesus. And that's why we can't miss it. And that's what we're going to be about. Let's pray.